0: This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. As a young person, Sister Desiree Anne-Marie Finlay was fascinated by the holiness of the saints and she found herself similarly fascinated by the nuns and sisters that she would meet. While on a pilgrimage through New Mexico, she met the Felician Sisters for the very first time and shortly after that encounter began to discern religious life. A series of yeses brought Sister Desiree to where she is today. Not only does she help other women discern their vocations, but as a Black Catholic, she is a champion for representation and is convicted in the truth that all are called to holiness, regardless of who they are and what they look like. In this episode, Sister Desiree and I talk about her vocational discernment journey, how she praises God through her gift of dance, and why representation in the Catholic Church is needed and necessary. My sister Desiree. Hello,
1: how are you, Rachel?
0: <laughs> I am well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. That's so great. Thank you for joining me. I was mentioning just before we got started that I have been looking forward to this conversation for a very long time. I was so excited when I first got your yes. I think it was evening time for me and I was just kind of like screaming and my sister was like, why are you screaming? We're about to go to sleep. So I am just very excited. So thank you for sharing some of your time today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate
0: it. It's my pleasure. Okay. So maybe to start off for those listeners who don't know you, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and share a little bit of what you do right now.
1: Sure. So, I am, as you said, Sister Desiree, (laughs) and I am currently the vocation director for my community. I'm a Felician sister. We're a Franciscan community, and I am living in the United States, so I serve mostly the United States and Canada when it comes to vocation ministry. I've been a vocation director for about three years, but originally I studied education, so I was a teacher for four years at an all-girls Catholic high school in California. And I loved it. I loved my students. I loved California, but then the Lord invited me elsewhere. So here I am and living a different sort of ministry, but happily serving my community and inviting women to take a look at what religious life might be like for them. (laughs) Mm
0: And just since you mentioned it, you mentioned that you're a Felician sister, and maybe just before I ask you to share your faith journey, I was wondering if you could actually share a little bit about your community. You know, we were chatting about how I had come to meet you on the internet first, and the Felician Sisters was an order that I wasn't too familiar with. But just as I started to do some research, I was like, wow, what a beautiful order. And like you said, it's part of the, maybe the greater Franciscan family. But yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your congregation.
1: Yeah. So we started in Poland and were founded officially in 1855. And then some years, maybe 20 years after that, came to the United States because there were a lot of Polish immigrants here who speak the language and didn't have access to education. So a Polish priest here sent word to the sisters and said, we need some teachers. We need some women who can help us out. And so five sisters came and pretty much like they wrote their own textbooks. They just plowed through and took care of the people. After that, it just grew. So then there were several of us in the United States, and now there are about 400 of us in the United States and Canada. And we don't have a specific apostolate. So while we came, and first we were educators, then it opened up to education and healthcare and kind of anything. So whatever each sister feels called to, like I said, I was teaching, And then I felt like, well, I I love working with youth and young adults, but having the same schedule every day is just, it it was stifling. (laughs) I didn't realize that I was not a schedule person, but when I learned that, I was like, I need to get out of here. So, you know, I went to my counselor, which is our leadership for the province of North America. And I said, can I try something different, something along the lines of youth and young adult ministry? So we talked about different options, like working at a parish or doing campus ministry. And when we talked about vocation ministry, I was like, that, that's what I want to do. So really each sister has the freedom to say, this is the ministry I feel called to. And then the community, you know, with our leadership, we discern if that's what the community needs. Is that what society needs? You know, and and is that really something that the sister will find meaningful in, you know, or even if further education is needed, that too can be an option. So I like that we are one, but we also still get to be ourselves And that is our apostolate Is just kind of like anything, (laughs) but our charism kind of goes along with that. Is somewhat long, but it says we strive to imitate our foundress, Blessed Mary Angela, and her boundless love of God and surrender to God's will through total availability and compassionate service in concern for the salvation of all people. (laughs) So you know, just striving to love God and do what God desires, and just love people in whatever way they need. That's pretty much
0: what we try to be about. Wow. That's really beautiful. I mean, just like you're saying, striving to love God and be compassionate in whatever means, but also just in whatever ways God has blessed each of you. The different ways that all of you have your own interests and of course, Mm -hmm. like in careful discernment with the community Mm -hmm. and for Mm -hmm. society. But Mm -hmm. I find that to be so striking and beautiful that you're able to carry out your own like mini apostolates, like you said, kind of individually, but then you're still together as one. So that's Thank really wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, Sister so, so Desiree, I was wondering, you know, I joke with sisters that obviously you weren't always like Sister Desiree. There was a time prior to you entering the convent, I'm sure. And I'd love to hear about your faith journey and just how you came to maybe know Jesus in the intimate way that you do know now and even if at some point along the way that blends into your vocation story like I'm all for that. So, yeah, I'll let you take the story from there. Sure. I grew up
1: Catholic. I was baptized as an infant and but I went to public school my whole life. So, my mom had me in catechism classes, so I think you know every Wednesday evening I go to catechism and learn about the Catholic Church and Catholic history and it was really there that this deep interest in Saints was developed. I just was like, "Who are these people, and how did they get there?" You know, and as I learned how many of them were sisters and nuns, it was like, "What are they doing? What is it that made Teresa of Avila so revered? What is it that made Catherine of Siena so holy?" And it was just constant, like, "What is that? (laughs) What are they doing?" By the time I was in high school, I got to meet my first nun. I was just awestruck because you know I'd been learning about sisters and nuns in terms of sainthood. And so to me, it was just connected, you know, it's like, well, she's holy because she's a sister, (laughs) she's a nun. And she really was just very down to earth, prayerful person. And that was the first time that I really thought I had this interest. But the first time when I met her was like, the interest went to, this is why I'm interested because she has this depth of relationship that I can tangibly see, you know, you could tell she listened to each person who was speaking with her as if it was, they were the only person who existed. And when I saw her a couple of years later, then I was in college and she remembered me, I was like, what? <laughs> just blew my mind. You know, I couldn't imagine meeting someone briefly because we only talked for maybe 30 seconds. because it was a whole group of us visiting their convent. So for her to remember me, again, just solidified the fact that she had such depth of relationship. Her relationship with God was deep and that meant her relationship with others was deep. And I was like, I want that. That's what I want for my life. So I think in high school was the first time it was like sparked as maybe this could be for me. And then when I saw her again in college, I was like, this is why it could be for me. A couple of years after that, I went on a pilgrimage, which was a hundred mile walk. It took a week long. (laughs) And one of my friends had invited me I just kind of signed up because we were friends and I thought she was real cool. And I grew up in New Mexico and it was going to be walking a hundred miles through New Mexico. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful way to see the state that I love and to get to see all these historic places and even walk through some reservations and Pueblos. And so I signed up and then later found out it was specifically a pilgrimage for (laughs) vocations. So I was like, that's interesting. And so I asked my friend, I was like, did you know that I admired religious or, you know, considered that like something I might want to do. And she said, no, I didn't actually, but you know, I knew you were Catholic, so <laughs> I figured it was a good fit. And she said, plus there are some sisters. So if you want to talk to the sisters while we're walking, you know, you're walking to do that. And I was like, there's sisters on the walk. <laughs> so of course I had to get to talk, you know, that during the week of walking together, I was like, we're, we're going to talk. But, you know, even up until that point, while I grew up Catholic, and while I had this fascination for religious sisters and nuns, I would say that mostly my faith was pretty surface. Like I did the things that I was supposed to because I didn't want to get in trouble with my mom or the Catholic church. (laughs) So I was like, I better say my rosary. I better go to mass on Sundays. And you know, when I was a little older, like I better go for adoration every once in a while, because this is what good Catholics do. But at that point on this pilgrimage, Again, the thought reoccurred, like, as I visited with these two sisters who happened to be Felician sisters, and like you, I'd never heard of them before in my life, didn't know where they were, what they did. I saw that depth of relationship again. And I was like, it's still there. Like, it's still something that I'm seeing in these sisters who were totally different sisters than the nun that I met in high school. And I thought, I have to be closer to that. Like, I need to go and visit and I need to go find out what that is. And I was dating at the time, at had a boyfriend, and he knew that I was going to hang out with his sisters, but I don't think that he was, you know, assuming, oh, she'll probably leave me and go become a sister. And I don't think I was even thinking of that at first either. I was just like, I just have to know. Eventually, after about a year of getting to know them, I just thought, I really want to give this a try. You know, maybe married life is for me, because like, most women, I imagine what my kids might look like. i would come up with names for my kids and I could see myself married. But even if that is for me, I have to make sure this isn't like I just I need to know. And so I, I broke up with my boyfriend and started really more seriously looking at religious life and spending time with the sisters intentionally. And after about a year of doing that, I was like, OK, I'm ready to move forward. And that was right after college, I graduated. And then that fall, I went in and joined the Felician Sisters.
0: Wow, Oh, that's really beautiful. What I love about that is just as you're recounting your own journey, like up until yeah, this point that you had entered with the Felicians, it really is a journey as with all of us. It's, you know, this continual walk, towards holiness, walking towards Jesus, falling deeper in mm-hmm. love with Him. And I love that it's characterized by this pilgrimage, this hundred mile mm-hmm. pilgrimage that you made. And it was that moment where you came in contact with the Felician sisters. And again, it reminded you of a previous experience you had with another religious sister and just how mm-hmm. that continues to grow. And it's so funny how the Lord uses everything and He builds all together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really incredible. And I really appreciate that. A lot of us as women, like you said, we do imagine, and I think the default setting, so to speak, is really thinking about, okay, yeah, marriage, you know, we'll get married, we'll have our children, we'll have our house and whatever it might be. But that courage that it took to say, maybe marriage is what I'm called to, but I need to make sure that religious life isn't what I'm called to. And I can only imagine what could have happened if you just were like, I'm already so comfortable and so set in this relationship. And I'm sure he was a wonderful guy. So it's like, this is safe and secure right now. Why do I need to risk everything? So that's incredible. Praise (laughs) God that you took that leap and you said that. Mm -hmm.
1: I am also grateful to God that I, like God gave me that courage and the grace to say, I have to know, (laughs) you know, that I was able to, like you said, take the risk and try it. Mm
0: -hmm. So you entered in with the Felicians, and I wanted to ask about dance because one of the things that i had come across was just this beautiful video of you. I think you are in your habit already. There's this beautiful video of you that I'll have to find and share with folks of you dancing. Now, I am by no means a dancer. So what I admire and love is obviously the athleticism, but also the grace. And you talk about how your dance is a form of prayer for you like you're able to connect and and be one with god in that way and i was wondering if you could share a little bit about you know your own experiences as a dancer because i understand that you were quite serious and you were doing this quite professionally as well
1: yeah so dance definitely was something that i grew up doing since probably i was three or four i was in gymnastics for a little while i was also a cheerleader for a little while but starting probably around the age of 11 that's when I was I mostly was just ballet till high school and then in high school I joined the dance team so I had a lot of training and experience and led to me you know being able to dance semi-professionally with the basketball team in New Mexico but it was always entertainment you know it was always just for fun and for show which I enjoyed there was nothing wrong with that for me you know but when I met the Felician sisters and they knew that I was a dancer, they said, well, we are having this Jubilee celebration where we're commemorating the lives of sisters who have been serving for 60, you know, 75 years as Felicians. And we would love for you to be a part of that. And, you know, this was before I entered. This was just like when I met them. And they said, if you would do a dance, we would love that. You know, if you could do some sort of prayerful dance. And I was like, sure. You know, I'd never really heard of anything like that. But I thought, well, I've done ballet so I can, you know, do something graceful. When I did that and celebrated the lives of these women in this way was the first time that dance had any sort of meaning for me, that it was more than just entertaining and it was more than just fun, but it was a prayer. It was calling me to prayer and it was calling other people to prayer. And I was like, what? (laughs) Dance can do that? Things that I've just been using for fun can call people to prayer, can call me to commune with God, why am I wasting it? And why why am I using my life just for fun and entertainment? Because remember, I was a college student at that time, so everything was entertainment and fun. (laughs) But I thought, if they're showing me the difference between how I'm living now and how I actually want to live my life, I think this is the place I need to be. And even though I'd never really considered pursuing dance like with a company or anything like that, it was important to me. It was something that I just really enjoyed. So when I was getting ready to enter, I thought, well, dance isn't something that sisters do. So I like to compare it to the story of Abraham because I was like, well, you gave it to me, God, but I'm willing to give it back. Thank you very much for the time I had it and goodbye dance. But then after my time in the novitiate during like our initial formation, when I made first vows and went into teaching, that's when I taught dance. And I was like, I would have never even considered myself good enough to teach dance, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And not even just the aspects of dance, but again, there was so much meaning behind it because I was seeing how it could transform lives. So I was seeing how some of my students who were so quiet or so angry were able to now express themselves in this new way. And they became like this whole new young woman. And I was like, who is that? But to see dance do that and to get to be a part of that, because I was sharing my gift of dance. Again, like I told God, I want a meaningful life and I want my gifts to have meaning, but I didn't realize that I would get to keep some of them, that I would be willing to offer dance back. And then God says, well, I gave you that and now I want you to multiply that. So I've even been able to go to Haiti and teach dance and see how it transforms lives there. And young women say to themselves, I have something to offer. Like I'm worthy of people coming for me to watch me do something that is meaningful and beautiful. You know, how much of their dignity was restored in just being able to say, here's something that I have. And here's some hard work I put into my own self. So it's just been incredible. And so now it's even continued to develop. (laughs) At some point I I did post a video. I was improvising and I just danced to a song that I felt really moved by. And a sister from a different community reached out and said to me, can we do like some dances prayer together? Cause I love to do a simple movement. And she said, but you know, maybe we could start a zoom group. And I was like, Oh, it's just another thing on my plate. But I thought, okay. It seemed like such an invitation from the Holy spirit that I said, Oh, I can, I can see us doing that. So we have this little zoom group now that's been going for almost a year. And then every once in a while I'll lead a dance or something on Facebook or Instagram. And you know, and it's not about the numbers, like how many people watch it, but that anybody does says that there are people who want to see their gifts or other people's gifts that aren't typically considered prayerful or meaningful as like something you can use to speak with God and go in a deeper level within yourself and in your prayer life. So it's just been like very surprising, but very exciting at the same time. Mm.
0: Yeah. And even listeners can't see you and I as we're chatting with each other, but just the pure joy that is exuded from you. Like, I don't know if you realize that, but just the joy, even though you're not dancing, you know, you're just talking about dance. So I can only imagine just how much more infinite joy will come out when you are dancing. But I love what you're saying there about how, you know, something that you don't typically associate with prayer or meditation, even just how even that can be used. And It just reminds me again that God really does use everything and he uses all parts Mm -hmm. of us. And there was a sister that once said to me that, you know, when we do hand over our lives to God and we are willing to go that distance with him, like he never stifles our Mm -hmm. creativity. He never stifles our identity. And Mm -hmm. even that fact that you compared it to the Abraham and Isaac story, how Mm -hmm. you're willing to give it back, like that pure faith allowed him to really not only just give it back to you, but just be like, here, like, I am going to allow for you to use it for my greater glory. That's so incredible. And I am just picturing just a Zoom call with, is it different sisters from different congregations who are dancing together?
1: It is, but it's also now, because some people have heard of it, there are some young adults, oh. some created single, um, you know, and so it's just like kind of expanding to this diverse little group and a couple people from another country.
0: (laughs) Praise God. That is so much fun. So thank you for saying yes to the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that I did because I was tempted to say no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. One of the beautiful things that I see in you as a sister is the fact that there's this love that you have of God, that initial desire for holiness that you had and you were really curious about what it was that these different saints had and then you saw that they were sisters and how you've been able to live that out. And I don't want to be remiss of the fact that you yourself have a particular identity as a Black Catholic and as a religious sister. And I was reading some beautiful pieces that were produced on you, as well as some blog posts that you had written just about, you know, representation, being able to represent yourself and your fullest self. And one of the things that I came across was how you made a very conscious choice in consultation with your community to not wear mm-hmm. a habit. So I see that now, obviously, just as we're chatting. And and I recognize, too, that different congregations have different rules around this in mm-hmm. their constitution and what have you. But I was wondering if you could share a little more about that, just around your choice to not wear a habit and what that means for you to be able to have that representation to really be maybe a face for so many other young people who may not necessarily see themselves in different religious communities. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you for asking that question because I do, yeah, so I have so many thoughts on it. But first, I want to start with an experience I recently had. I was asked to speak with predominantly African American elementary school in California. So now in this pandemic, we've figured out how to connect. <laughs> via zoom a lot. So we had like a little school assembly on zoom and I had my hair like in a side ponytail. Later on, the principal emailed me and she's like, sister, I just have to say, thank you so much for speaking with our kids. They just are enthralled. They love you. And she said, your side ponytail was the topic for like the rest of the day. (laughs) She said, you know how important hair is for little black girls. And she said, so I just want to appreciate you being a part of this, you know, our our day to day. And I was like that, that is why, you know, obviously I didn't know what kind of interactions I'd have or, you know, what people might say later, but when I chose not to wear a, like a traditional habit with a veil, it was because I wanted, I wanted to embrace my ethnicity and I wanted other people to know that I was a part of their lives too. I wasn't separate from, I wasn't better than, I wasn't removed from their experience that I could be a part of their experience, even as a sister. So I I wore a habit, a traditional habit with a veil for about five years. And within our Felician community in the United States and Canada, we have the option of wearing a traditional habit and veil, or we say a modified habit, which can be the veil with like a blouse and a skirt or just a blouse and a skirt or a dress without a veil. And when I became a novice, they asked, you know, so what are you going to wear? And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of it. (laughs) And even though like the sisters that I met in New Mexico, the Felicians, almost none of them wore, wore a traditional habit and veil. But when I was a novice, I was like, oh yeah, I'll wear that. I'll wear the traditional, you know, sisters should wear that. So as a novice, and then about three years into teaching, when I was in California, I was wearing that. And then that was around the time that Trayvon Martin was murdered and that the phrase Black Lives Matter really started. And what gained a lot more attention right now after the murder of George Floyd, back then it was already enough to get people's attention and it got my attention. And that is when I said, I want to be a part of this. I want people to know that the Catholic Church in some way, even if it's just this one sister, (laughs) identifying as Black says, I care and I see I see you and I'm a part of it with you. So that was one big reason for me. Another was just for my own personal self. I have a hard time being vulnerable or admitting, you know, that I'm having a bad day or being even just honest with myself that I'm mad about something. And so when I put on this very nice symbol, it was like, oh, well, I'm a sister. So I don't have bad days and I don't have problems and I don't get mad. That wasn't helpful for me. So I needed to let go of something on the exterior that was maintaining the lies that I told myself on the interior, which was like, you don't struggle and you're not allowed and you can only be like on your knees in prayer and this perfect little nun, you know. And so not only did I want to own my ethnicity, I wanted to own my humanity. And I needed for myself to let that symbol go. And so, you know, I still wear like I'll wear a dress or I'll wear a skirt and blouse. and. We all wear the same crucifix that says, you know, we're part of the same community. But for me, I feel like it allows me to enter into my own humanity and into humanity in general to wear something that's a little more modified.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for that. You kind of preface that question with, there are so many thoughts that are just running through my head. You know, the biggest of which I would say is, I think for anyone, Catholic or not, whenever you see religious sisters walking down the street, because there are many of them. If you open up your eyes and kind of keep a close eye out, you might you might catch a few walking around mm-hmm. in places where there are congregations. Mm-hmm. So it's not an uncommon sight. And yet, I think even if you aren't Catholic, but especially if you're Catholic, like you recognize the symbol that they are, like they mm-hmm. are living, breathing, walking symbols of a bride of Christ. And mm-hmm. just the fact mm-hmm. that God is walking among us. And these are really wonderful examples of that. But I think that there's also, because I've experienced this myself, that misconception that because one has become a sister or one has become a priest, that they're kind of automatically on this fast track to to (laughs) holiness. They're already going into heaven, but we forget that they are still human sisters and priests still, like you said, have bad days sometimes. And because we're all human, they can falter and they can fail sometimes. So of course, they have that added grace of, you know, a community life and just being able to recognize the vows that they've taken. So therefore, they really strive to model that holiness back to the world. And many of them do a fantastic job of that. But I love what you're saying about how, you know, you were, it's almost kind of incarnational in a way, how you are, really choosing like intentionally to enter into different places, different parts mm-hmm. of the world, and just be, you know, kind of in your in your fullest and truest self. Not to say that you wearing a traditional habit and veil wouldn't be, but how you said you're owning your ethnicity, owning your humanity, and just what a world of a difference that makes. I mean, that story that you shared about the assembly with the mm-hmm. elementary school, like that is incredible. And something that maybe I should have said that at the beginning, I meant to say, habit and veil, because obviously it's the veil part. That's the part that covers your hair. So thank you mm-hmm. for that clarification. <laughs> you know, you've had that experience and, and I'm sure that you've had maybe other examples of experiences with different young people, maybe particularly mm-hmm. Black Catholics. I know that hair is such a important part of identity of, you know, mm-hmm. who you are, how it makes up you. Mm-hmm. What other experiences have you had or just, you know, moments of encounter where You've talked to young girls who may want to discern, but again, like don't see themselves represented or they may feel like because I look a certain way that they can't.
1: Yeah, I, well, two things. So I just want to respond also to what you're saying about, you know, what we choose to wear and how we choose to really incarnate, you know, God's presence in this world. And I feel like diversity is needed and not only culturally, but even in the way we choose to become God's presence in this world. So that's why we don't have just one vocation. You know, we have a variety of vocations. That's why we don't have just one religious community. We have a variety of religious communities. So it's the same thing with what we wear. I know I get messages once in a while from Catholics who are like, you should wear a veil and a habit. And usually I just ignore those. (laughs) You know, I don't feel like I need to argue with people. But again, even what we wear, like each of us has a different way of ministering to people because some people are drawn to sisters who have that very obvious symbol of a habit and some are not. And so it's kind of like personalities too. When I was teaching, some students were drawn to me, other students to the crazy drama teacher next door to me. You know, we all have a different way of being in that way. It's almost like we cover more ground. <laughs> so I feel like, diversity even in that aspect is important because there are sisters who wear jeans and t-shirts and maybe you'll never know when you pass them on the street that that's a catholic sister but she has given her life to god and to serving others just as much as a sister who wears a habit so those are my other thoughts <laughs> thank
0: you no thank you for that
1: yeah um so then you're asking oh, other examples of actually so i'm on instagram and there are a couple of young women who African-American, and they said, I didn't really think that religious life was very possible. And now that I've seen you and I've seen the joy, you know, that comes from you living your vocation, I've been looking into communities. Whether they become sisters or not, just the fact that, like you're saying, they could see themselves represented and say, oh, maybe that is possible for me too. While I didn't have representation really when I met the Felician sisters, what I did see was I did see diversity in their being. So the first two Felicians I met were very opposite. You know, one grew up in Southern California, was darker skin. The other grew up in Texas, was lighter skin, very quiet and calm. And the Southern Californian was extroverted and loud. And I just, I loved it because it said, you don't have to be like anybody else. Like you could be yourself in this community. So while I didn't see somebody who looked like me necessarily, I did see different aspects of humanity represented. And I thought, okay, I could be there too. Seeing how like at the assembly, or even when I was just barely starting out and we went to visit our sisters in South Carolina and the children there, that they were mostly African-American that they served. You know, I remember talking to my mom and saying like, these little girls just, they love me. Like they keep inviting me to their house and their mom's taking pictures with me, you know. And she was like, well, yeah, because you represent something to them that says we can make it like we can, we can be there too. And whether that's religious or just happy and successful in whatever life we've chosen, like they see that and they see it. Oh, I can make it there too. I can get to that joy. I can get to be settled in my
0: life too. Mm. That's very moving. I don't want to stop the recording just because I feel like that's gonna start water work. So we're gonna we're gonna power through that. But wow, thank you for being that witness. There could have been so many I'm so conscious of that. Like there are so many paths that each of us as as people, as women, that we could take. All of them are equally good, but there is one really excellent way that the Lord has called for us that still allows for us to be our fullest and truest selves while also carrying out his will. And, you know, it's so evident that how he's able to integrate your love for dance and your gift for dance, your identity and your joy and all of those things and how you're able to really give that back to other people, but particularly other young girls that you yourself at one point were, and Mm -hmm. now you're able to give back to so many of those. It's really a wonderful thing, and I'm in awe right now. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe just as we tie this portion of the conversation together, I know that we talked a lot about race and representation today. And you mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement. And obviously, like as we're recording this, this is like the tail end of 2020. For a number of reasons, 2020 has been such a difficult year. But I think especially like by way of realizing that there's still so much more that we need to do as a society kind of having this reckoning moment that, yeah, racism isn't dead. So for you as a Catholic, as a a member of a religious congregation, and just seeing how that intersects with your own faith, I guess this isn't so much a question, but maybe more so just maybe an opening, I guess, to provide your thoughts and also encouragement, I guess, for us who might really be feeling we need to do more and how we can be just better Catholics, especially with regards to being anti-racist and moving forward in that way. I know it's a big, big thing, but whatever thoughts you might have there.
1: You're right. There is, it's big. (laughs) There's a lot. But I think, I think staying on the topic of representation, because that matters a lot. And, you know, so I'm going to give an example of one of my sister friends in community. She was like, you know, I feel, I want to learn more. I want to understand, you know, I want to know why. I don't feel comfortable having these conversations. I want to know why in my work environment, we're all white. You know, I want to, I want to understand. So I suggested the book white fragility. I've not read it, but I've heard really good things. So she read, she read it in like two weeks. And kept texting me and she's like, ah, I'm just like, I'm so infuriated, but I'm so happy because I'm learning so much. And she's like, but how come, you know, we let things be like this. So her awareness has just been raised to this level that she was not at. She wanted to be, you know, further ahead. So she's now asking all kinds of questions, you know, and realizing all sorts of things. And recently decided she wanted a nativity set with the Holy Family with a darker skin color because she's like, well, they grew up in the Middle East. I want that represented in my nativity set. So she's online shopping and can only find very pale nativity sets. And when she does find some other varieties, she's like, why are these more expensive just because they're darker skinned? Like, why is it harder for me to first of all find them? And then when I do, they cost more. It was easier and even cheaper for her to find a nativity set Represented in bears or zombies. What? <laughs> and these are like independent companies, whatever. But still, why is it so hard and so much of an issue to find a darker skinned nativity set? And she's like, I realized in that moment, what have we been saying to people? What have we been saying to children in the Catholic Church without ever having to say words at all? When they can see either themselves represented or They don't see themselves represented. So what does that say to you? And she's like, what does that say to people like me that, oh, I'm represented in holiness, but other people are not. And she said, but what does that say to people who don't see themselves represented, that they know they're not, they don't belong, they don't fit. I think that's a very good start. So even just in our homes to have images that don't just look like us, even me, I want images that represent myself, my culture. But I also want, and I don't even know if I'm saying this correctly, but Our Lady of Lavon, I found an image of her by Pox Valerie on Instagram. And I'm like, I'm going to save up because I want that. And I want Our Lady of Cubejo. I want to see all sorts of cultures achieving holiness. I don't want it to just be one culture that can be holy or that can belong, but all cultures. So in our own homes, we can do that. But I also, I want to see that in our Catholic churches. When I go to church, I don't want to see only European images of saints and angels and the holy family. I want to see different colors. I want to see different cultures because that says volumes without words ever being spoken. It says you belong here or you don't. It says you can achieve holiness or you can't. And what do we want to tell people?
0: Yeah, that everybody is called to holiness. It's that universal call. And I'm just reminded again of the fact that, you know, the word Catholic, it doesn't mean like universal. Just the fact that Jesus came not just for a select few. And typically we do equate that with either the super holy or the super rich or the super successful, but that can also be applied to cultures and representation and what people look like. So yes, like Jesus came to save all and we are all called to holiness. So I just appreciate you sharing that. Maybe just as we close to, you know, you mentioned diversity and, and representation in a couple of different ways. And, and of course, with this podcast, as we've come to the tail end of this year, one of the things that I've really felt the Lord saying to me on my heart is just through women like yourself and different women that I've had the opportunity to talk to, really what matters is the fact that there's no wrong way to be a Catholic woman. And in fact, there's a diversity or John Paul II says like that multiplicity of ways and all are unique, all are necessary and all are needed. And for yourself, Sister Desiree, how have you seen your own feminine genius flourish in your own life?
1: I would say in learning that spiritual motherhood isn't just for St. Teresa of Avila, (laughs) because for a while for me, it was just like this far off ideology that was for the best of the best. But learning that I could be a mother, really, and that I could love children like my own, even if I only see them every few months. Even if they're someone else's kids and they live down the street, but that they come to see me or they come over and they want to give me something, you know, because I paid attention to them or I played basketball with them. or That's why I love living in a neighborhood. So my convent is in a regular old neighborhood house. But I'm surrounded by families and so I'm surrounded by children and they come and play in our yard or I'm out trying to get work done and they come and sit on the bench with me or work in the garden and they come over and they want to pull weeds with me. But that my heart is available to all and I'm not just allowed to love all but I'm capable of it and that while I might have imagined my own physical children bearing my own children that this is a different way of having my own children.
0: And I'm sure that they're all very blessed to have you and your sisters as spiritual mothers, just so many present in their own neighborhood. So thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you.
1: Thanks again for this invitation.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's my pleasure. I've learned so much. And my hope is that listeners come away from this feeling that they've learned something, of course, but also that we are all represented in some way and And maybe, yeah, like I'll, just before I ask you to close us in prayer, if people haven't seen that representation for themselves, like they haven't seen themselves represented, it doesn't even just have to be like religious communities, but I guess since we're on that topic, like if they haven't, Mm -hmm. do you have any advice for, for women to be bold and seeking out that representation or maybe even blazing a trail of their own? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on what they're like, if they're looking for a mentor or they're looking just to see, you know, art represented that. Let's say potentially I could go to the convent where I see not a lot of art represented culturally, you know, in a a cultural diverse way. I could gift them with an image. I could say, hey, I purchased this and it's a gift for you. And then that's my way of getting something I want to see in another convent hung on the wall. Or if looking, sometimes finding a mentor with your same cultural background might be difficult. But to not give up to look in all kinds of places and And to be open to other cultures, because I had a spiritual director who was a religious sister, but she was Caucasian. And while she didn't have my same experience, she understood. And she's the one who led me to groups like the National Black Sisters Conference or Giving Voice, which is for sisters under 50. So she knew of the spaces that I wasn't aware of. So sometimes other people who maybe don't have our experience can understand at least and point us in a direction where we will find others who can share our experiences.
0: Wonderful. Well, Sister Desiree, thank you so much again for your time today. Like I said, I learned so much and I'm just very appreciative of your voice and what it is that you're doing for the Catholic Church, but especially young women in the Catholic Church. So thank you. And yeah, if you would be able to lead us in a closing prayer, that'd be amazing.
1: Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the
0: Holy Spirit. Amen. So we'll just
1: pause for a moment to hold what was shared to hold what maybe stood out or challenged us. May we hold it with the generosity of God's grace, knowing that in the invitations, in the challenges, there is always something God has to offer. And even when we struggle, we toss and turn with what we hold, that God's love is always abundant. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: big thank you to sister desiree for joining me on the feminine genius podcast today you can find sister desiree on instagram at sista.d that's s-i-s-t-a-h dot d as well you can learn more about the felician sisters in north america by visiting their website feliciansistersna.org i've left links to these in the episode description below you can stay up to date with the Feminine Genius Podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Pod, And you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other platforms. All this information can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless always.